previously on Murder in Alliance. Found in a pool of her own blood. She said she was murdered, and I, I, yeah, I mean, you could have just knocked me over. I... Right now, they tell me it's a pretty bloody scene in there. So gloves and booties on this one. It's that bad. I mean, there's just a massive amount of blood around her face. Like shock and awe. It's like as if it's not even real. Like something has to be wrong. And then one day, I just lost everything, and I didn't care about life no more. And David knew about it, and he took advantage of me. This is Murder and Alliance, an active investigation into who killed Yvonne Lane. I'm Maggie Freeling. Joe Wilkes is the entire case against David Thorne. And this isn't overstating things. Police, prosecutors, and David all agree David was not the actual murderer because he was three counties away at a martial arts class. But to police and prosecutors, this didn't mean David was innocent like it did for Eric Cameron. It simply meant that there must have been an accomplice, someone David hired to have Avon Lane killed. And that person, they said, was Joe Wilkes. The man known as Joseph Isaac Wilkes was born June 5, 1980, in a small Ohio town called Dover. He was born Joseph Isaac Brown to Dorothy and Isaac Brown, but his life was by no means picture perfect, as Joe explained in his trial testimony. Joe had two siblings, Jennifer and Jason, and Joe said that he only lived with his biological parents for a year and a half because his father threw his little brother down the stairs, breaking both his wrists, arm, and fracturing his skull. All three kids were put in foster homes. In kindergarten, Joe was psychologically evaluated and labeled as behaviorally handicapped, and emotionally disturbed, and he was thus placed in special education classes. Around this time, at five years old, Joe was able to go back and live with his biological mother again, but it doesn't sound like things had improved. At nine years old, Joe was put back in foster care. He said he was taken out of his mother's home because, quote, they were abusive physically, emotionally, and sexually. It's unclear who Joe meant by they. Joe was adopted at 12 years old by Sterling and Brenda Wilkes from Atwater. His biological siblings were also adopted by them. Atwater is just 15 minutes from Alliance. Joe's life seemed better with the Wilkeses, but the damage from his past was severe. In ninth grade, Joe was evaluated again. A report on the evaluation says Joe had an inability to maintain interpersonal relationships, shows inappropriate behavior or feelings under normal circumstances, pervasive feelings of unhappiness or depression, and a tendency to develop physical symptoms or fears associated with personal or school problems. The report lists behaviors such as nervousness, twitching, lying, cheating, and mood changes. It says Joe was secretive and felt worthless, that he got lonely and could be clingy, 
It also says he had a reoccurring fear of doing bad and often acted to please other people. Joe had motor skill problems too and was reportedly shaky even when he wasn't nervous. Doctors also noted that Joe often had negative feelings towards himself and would say things like, I'm stupid and you must have me confused with someone smart. At 14, the shaky, twitchy, sad teen entered high school and was a target of bullies and the butt of jokes. He was kind of a loner, didn't really have a lot of friends. Uh, I kind of felt bad for him. Kind of like a, I don't know, I have a soft spot for people, you know, he didn't have the best home life. This is Josh McComb, who you heard last episode. He was one of the kids the police went to to ask about Yvonne's murder. He wasn't the smartest kid. He wasn't, you know, seemed like he was all right, but he just didn't have a lot of friends. Joe went to Waterloo Public Schools and testified that he became involved in drugs like acid and cocaine. In 1997, when Joe was in 10th grade, the Wilkeses got divorced. Joe continued to live with his adopted father, but then he got kicked out and wound up homeless. He said he'd sleep wherever he could. And this is when he met David. Atwater was a small town. Everyone knew each other, and Joe said they met at a party through a friend. And eventually, they started hanging out. He was a likable kid. I mean, you know, he just had that goofy quality about him that was just a down-home person that just, he was a likable kid. Josh also started hanging around Joe at this time. I actually met Joe through my sister. Uh, they were, he was in a younger grade. So my sister hung out at his house. And at some point, I don't remember when, I ended up hanging out over there too. Joe was younger than Josh and David. David by eight years. So they were kind of like father figures to Joe, or at least big brothers. He didn't have, you know, good parents. He didn't, I don't even remember ever seeing his dad around, uh, his adopted dad. I just felt bad for him. And as David said in the last episode, he also felt bad for Joe and would try to help him in any way he could. From giving him rides to letting him sleep on his couch, David even bought Joe his first car about a year before their arrest, a Volkswagen Rabbit for $300. This was just the kind of person I've repeatedly been told David was. Josh said the same thing. David was kind of like a big brother to all of us. You know, I, you know, I didn't have a dad growing up. I didn't have a big brother growing up. I didn't have an older sibling growing up. So David kind of looked out for me. David liked to show off his shoot fighting skills to Joe, Josh, and any of the boys that were hanging around. Joe said David was actually training him at shoot fighting. Joe's like, you know, he was training me in martial arts. No, he wasn't. He wasn't training any of us we were basically like hey i learned this new move let me try it on you it wasn't like training i mean we were basically david just wanted to show everybody his new moves <laughs> we're basically his punching bags for lack of a better term i think joe probably felt like it was training because he enjoyed learning any kind of self-defense because he was picked on his whole life and it was probably empowering like now he could have some autonomy didn't have guts you know he didn't have like 
I don't think the kid ever been in a fight in his life. And I don't, you know, he got in trouble and stuff. And I know that he just wasn't a violent kid. Although around this time, Joe's behavior did start to turn to mischief. What I originally found to be a quiet, keep-to-himself kid had now pleaded guilty to stealing shoes on January 21st, 1999, when he would have been 18. And this is really the first criminal record I can find for Joe because anything else would be juvenile records and they don't release those. Through this time, Joe was still attending public school up until 11th grade when he left and joined a vocational school, the same one David and Yvonne had attended. But the vocational school was short-lived. He got in a fight with a boy named Chris Campbell. And Chris is a huge part of this story, so we'll get back to him later. After the fight, Joe was sent to a behavioral school. Finally, in the spring of 1999, his senior year, Joe dropped out just a couple months before graduation. And I just want to say that all of this breaks my heart. Joe doesn't seem like a particularly bad kid. He never seemed violent. People didn't really have anything bad to say about him other than he had troubles. And not that it matters, but Joe was also a good-looking kid. Handsome, fit, six foot four. He seemed sweet and like he had a lot of potential but was just failed by everyone around him. After he dropped out of school, Joe wasn't working. In fact, it doesn't seem like he ever worked much. He said he worked at a restaurant for a month when he was 16, and then after that, he'd do random construction jobs with his grandpa. At this time, he said he was supporting himself through his girlfriends and the kindness of people like David and Josh. Joe was living with his girlfriend, Jenna Hillis, until March 26th. Jenna said that she and Joe broke up that night and he was kicked out. Joe called around looking for a ride and a place to crash. He even called David a few times, but there was no answer. The next day, March 27th, Joe moved in with his friend, Summer Enoch, and her parents, Karen and Brent. Karen testified that they were okay with helping Joe get on his feet. But if he was going to stay with them, he had to get a job and follow the rules. No, quote, riffraff at the house, keep a job, let them know if he'd be home for dinner, those kinds of things. The Enochs said they helped Joe get a job as a landscaper with a friend of theirs. But as most things with Joe, this didn't last long. He stayed with the Enochs through the end of May, and then they also kicked him out. They said he started bringing people around that they didn't know, and it was hard to get him to go to work. Joe hopped around after that. He said he stayed at a few friends' houses and his new girlfriend, Jen's house, although he couldn't remember Jen's last name. He also crashed at a friend Mike's house for a bit, too. On July 7th, 1999, Joe was arrested for, quote, criminal mischief. It's unclear exactly what it was, but he was convicted, ordered to pay a $3,000 fine, and released. Very shortly after, on the night of July 13th, Joe said he was out partying, drinking, doing coke, and dropping acid. The next morning on July 14th, Jen paged him, 911. Instead of calling back, Joe went right to Jen's house, where the police were waiting for him. He was picked up at Jen's house for questioning 
in the murder of Yvonne Lane. We are in the Detective Bureau at the Alliance Police Department. Also present is Detective Bill Mucklow, Detective John Leach, and Joseph Isaac Wilkes. A week earlier, the police got a call. It was a tip from a woman who worked at an apartment complex in Alliance, stating that one of her tenants had information in the Lane murder. Helen Walter, a resident at the apartment, had said that her daughter had the information, Rose Moore. The police spoke with Rose on July 12th, two days before Joe was picked up. I'm Detective William Mucklow, and we're interviewing Rose Moore. Also present is uh, Detective Bud Sampson. Could you just go ahead and um, tell me uh, what you um, what transpired several months ago along with your boyfriend, um, Chris Campbell? Okay, I was working at IPC in the Carnation Mall, and Chris Campbell was there also. And we got off work early, and I had to call my dad to pick us up. We went in the cafe court waiting on my dad, and we got something to eat. I think it was some french fries or something. 23-year-old Rose told officers that she and her boyfriend, Chris Campbell, were in the food court at the Carnation Mall when they bumped into Joe Wilkes. Now remember, Chris Campbell was the kid that Joe knew from school who he caught in a fight with just a few months earlier, the fight that got Joe kicked out of vocational school. So Rose told police she didn't remember the date or time that they bumped into Joe, but it was dark out and likely after work. Rose and Chris worked at a telemarketing center in the Carnation Mall. Since Joe was from Atwater, Chris asked him what he was doing in Alliance. Joe said that he had a job to do, and that some guy was paying him to stay at the Comfort Inn for the weekend. And he said, you know, well, he really got off the subject because Chris kept trying to get it out of him what he was there for. And I don't think he wanted to say. And Chris, you know, kept saying, well, I'm your friend, you know, you can trust me. And he said, well, some guy paid me to kill some girl in Alliance. You mentioned the price. Um, it, I'd say around three or 400 I'm not positive, but it was around that. Joe responded that, quote, some guy paid him to kill a girl in Alliance and was paid $300 up front. He said the guy who was paying him also paid for his room at the Comfort Inn that night to stay in Alliance. The Comfort Inn was inside the mall, so that's why Joe was in the mall. Rose told police that then Joe pulled out a knife from a sheath and showed it to them. He showed us the knife that he had on him. I think it was in his pocket. And it was, it looked like a hunting knife to me. It wasn't no pocket knife. It was bigger than that. And he showed us and he said that that's what he was supposed to kill her with. And was it in a sheath or not? Uh, like a, like a leather sheath or what? Uh, it might have been. I'm not really positive, but it could have been. I think it was, because when he pulled it out, he, he went like that. How long do you think the bike was? About. That's including the blade and everything? Yeah. Probably about that big. About eight, about eight inches? Yeah. It was bigger than a pocket knife. Then, Rose said after a few more minutes of conversation with Joe, he wrote his name and pager number on a card for Chris to contact him in the future. Rose told police that's when her dad showed up to pick them up, and they left. Rose also described what Joe was wearing. He had some Nike outfit on. It was like a white, probably white, black, and blue. I'm not positive on the colors, but I know it was white for sure. It was like a white jacket, and he had like a white paint top underneath that, I think. And he had white white pants. They looked like Nike pants. You're, you're a reason why you 
haven't come forward until now. Because I've been scared for my life. Because Chris Campbell told me if I said anything, that he would come after me. And that's why I've been scared. Because I don't want to die. <laughs> I have two small children to raise. They ended the conversation shortly after that. Two days later, police were looking for Joe. And they found him hungover at a friend's house. Joe said the police drove him to the station and read him his Miranda rights, although he was not under arrest at the time. The detectives in the room with Joe were Bud Sampson, William Mucklow, and John Leach. In a later deposition, Joe was asked whether he remembered being interviewed by the police. And Joe responded, quote, They never interviewed me. They interrogated me. The whole time they were interrogating me before they pushed the play button. July 14th, 1999, Wednesday. It's 13.09 hours. My name is Detective Bud Sampson. We're in the Ravenna Police Department interview room. Along with me is Detective William Mucklow and Detective John Leach of the Alliance Police Department. Also in the room is Ed Wilkes. Oh, Joseph Wilkes. Joseph Isaac Wilkes. I couldn't read your writing. Police again read Joe his Miranda rights on record, and then they got right to the point. Joe said that David asked him to kill Yvonne, and Joe agreed. Now, you'll want to pay close attention to the details of the confession. I'm not going to comment on what Joe says yet, but just know that in future episodes, we will so again. Just pay attention to details. When did he approach you to do this, Joe? Like, I want to say about a month before it happened. And... He, he told me that he'd make sure I was okay and that I'd stay out of it. And so he picked me up one morning, took me to Alliance Wall to comfort in and helped me pay for a room with a $100 bill and then sent me to get a knife and some baseball gloves. Joe said David asked him to kill someone, and Joe, at that point, had nothing to lose. So he agreed. David gave him money for a knife and baseball gloves and paid for the hotel room for him at the Alliance Carnation Mall. And we rode around all day and 
He told me how to do it. He told me, he's like, just leave the store at the mall about 9, 9.30. Just make sure it's done by 10 o'clock. Joe said that since David was at his shoot fighting class with Josh and the lion cub, that he would have an alibi. So David said to make sure the murder happened in that time frame by 10 p.m. So then he says David dropped him at the mall. He dropped me off that night. I left around 9, 9.30. And how did you get to the house from the mall? I walked from the mall to the house. And I I'd taken the gloves and my knife, and I was in some town or Nike gear, and I was walking down, and I walked to her house, and the door was unlocked. I opened it. Side note. It has been reported that Yvonne rarely locked her doors. Remember, small town Ohio. So Joe entering might not be weird. I screamed her name, and I was walking up the first flight of stairs, and she was coming down her bedroom. Does she know you? And she's met me once. Okay. What did she say to you? She was like, hey, what are you doing here? She goes, I haven't seen you in a long time. I was like, oh, David just wanted me to stop by and see how things were. And then we were sitting there talking for about three to five minutes, and then I, I did it. Okay. I know this is going to be hard, but we got to go through, and you tell me what happened here. Where were you sitting? Were you sitting upstairs or downstairs? We were, we were on the second floor, not the third one. Okay. And we were sitting on the couch talking, and I'm stubborn. What Joe said is that they were sitting on the couch and he reached his arm around her body and slit her throat. And then she got up, tried to run, went to the sliding glass door where the blood spurted everywhere, turned around and asked him why. Joe answered, because David wanted me to. And then she collapsed. And then Joe said, he says, I never did it. And he left. Joe says he went to the hotel and sat up all night thinking about it. How much money did David pay you? <laughs> like 300 some dollars. And he told me he was going to get me out of here to get my life better. And that was my end. So he gave you 300 dollars? Did he give you more money after that? He gave me... Joe said that David paid him $100 for the hotel room and then $200 afterwards for new clothes. When you checked out of the motel, okay, can you go back? Take back. He picked you up. Yes. Did you go back by the house? Where did he pick you up at the mall? Yes. No. No? No, he wouldn't go by the house. He pulled left out of the mall and went down the back road to go into Atwater. And where did he drop you off at? He dropped me off uh, in Randolph at my friend Summer's house. So somewhere along the road that you threw the clothes out? No, it was after that. He he, would, he told me, he goes, put him in a bag and just told him I did, and I gave him to him. And my pants, though, my pants were here in Ravenna because I wasn't thinking of it, and I was at my friend's house, and I just I threw them in the woods. Okay, what about your shoes? What did you do with your shoes? 
Joe said that after the murder the next morning, David picked him back up at the Carnation Mall and dropped him off at Summer Enoch's house. On the way, Joe put his clothes in a bag and gave the bag to David to get rid of. But he apparently forgot his pants, so he threw them in the woods. And he doesn't remember where his shoes went. Do you remember where you threw the pants in the woods? They didn't blow them. Yes, they did. Why? You'd be able to show us where they're at. But they're still there, yes, sir. Then they redirect Joe to the night of the murder. So what'd she say when you pulled the knife out? She didn't see me. She had her head turned. She was looking over to the side, and I pulled it out and was holding it down by my leg. And we continued talking. Then when she turned her head again, I did it. Joe said she didn't see him pull the knife out because her head was turned. When she turned back, he grabbed her hair to pull her head back and then cut her throat. Why'd you throw the uh, TV stand on top of it? I jumped over it. <laughs> the gloves, where, where, where were the gloves at, Joe? Um, they were... I threw them in a dumpster at McDonald's up by her house. When you, when you left the house and you ran back to the motel, did you run down State Street? Yes. Is that right about where you got rid of the knife? Um, no, it was when I was coming out of her house. I ran up a side street and I ditched it in a side street and I ran down. Do you think you'd be able to show us where you did for that? Yeah, it's on one of the side streets. Okay. State Street is the main road in Alliance. It's really more like a highway. Joe said he ran down State Street, covered in blood, back to the motel. On the way, he ditched the knife on a side street. So why did David want this done? So David could have his little boy and he wouldn't have to pay so much money. For child support? Yes. He told you this? Then police ask Joe if he told anyone else about this. And note, he doesn't mention Chris Campbell or Rose Moore. Did you tell anybody else what you had done? Joe? Oh. One person here knew that. Who's that? My best friend, Sam Pegg. And I'll just note here, Sam Pegg was never called as a witness at trial. Are you sorry for what you did? Yeah. I can't believe I did it. They took advantage of me. Are you willing to are you willing to stand up for yourself? Yeah, and testify in court against Dave Thorne? Yeah, this interview. It's Wednesday, July 14th, 1999. The time now is 13.26 hours. But the interview went on another day. Joe stayed overnight in jail, and the next interview started the following evening. We've got a couple more questions we need to ask you from yesterday, uh, if you don't mind, Joe. Uh, Detective Muckle is going to ask you a couple questions. Okay, Joe, um, when you were inside the house, was there a, a large dog inside the house or not? Do you recall? I do not recall. Okay. Do you recall if it was tied outside or not? I'm pretty sure it was. <clears throat> okay. Did it bark when you went in the house or not? No, it did not. Okay. Were there puppies around, do you recall or not? No. Okay. You didn't see anything, right? I didn't see nothing but her. 
Remember, Yvonne had puppies on the porch. They would have been right through the glass doors that Joe said Yvonne ran towards after he slit her throat. You mentioned on, on tape yesterday that you drove around with Dave all day on 331. But yes, he picked me up from Brent Enoch's house, which is out in Randolph. Explaining the situation like 20 times. Joe said that on the 31st in the afternoon, he checked into the hotel, which is in the mall. He said David told him to buy some gloves and a knife. Joe says after that, he was dropped back off at the Enoch's house and David picked him up again later. Joe got the knife that evening, he said, after walking around the mall for a bit. Presumably when he saw Rose and Chris, the couple he supposedly ran into at the mall, whom he told he was killing someone for a friend. Joe never mentions that, though. I walked around the mall for a little bit and bought that knife and went to my room and just sat there and I didn't want to do it. But when you purchased the knife, did the girl card you yes. for your identification? Yes. Okay. I know. Uh, I don't... I'm not sure if she did or she didn't because um, one of the guys from Randolph that were there, that, I mean Randolph that knew me, he was up there with his son. Randolph is another town in Ohio. And we were standing there talking and I'm not sure if she did or she didn't because he knew how old I was and we were talking about, you know, me being 18 and staying out of trouble. And, what was his name? Uh, they call him Spider. He's an older guy. I think it's Bud Webb. I'm not sure. Joe said he saw a man named Rick Webb at the Kmart at the mall while buying the knife. And we'll get back to Rick Webb later. Joe, do you still offer this this statement of your own free will? Yes. Have have the detectives of the Alliance Police Department or anybody else promised you anything for your for your statement? No. Have we have we have we threatened you? Have we done anything? to you to get this statement from you. And so that concluded the interview with Joe. We're going to end this statement. It's still Thursday, July 15th, 1999. Time now is 1636 hours. After Joe finished his statement, he was charged with aggravated murder. 26-year-old David Thorne was also arrested and charged with complicity to murder for hiring Joe to kill Yvonne Lane. And I'll admit, Joe sounds convincing. I mean, this on its face would also have me convinced. It sounds like a slam dunk to the prosecution. But when you compare his confession to the crime scene, some key elements come into question. Coming up next time on Murder in Alliance... The police started putting the pieces together, which was the first time they had been given the name of Joe Wells. She grabbed her by the hair. Yeah. I pulled her hair pretty hard. She was standing next to the sliding glass door. No, she was sitting on the couch to begin with, then she jumps up and runs over the sliding glass door. After you cut her? Yes. Two blocks away from Yvonne Lane's house, they recovered that locked blade knife. Detectives did find a print on the handle. They got fingerprints of people involved in the case. No match. I did not do this. And although you thought that the evidence proved it, I know in my heart and soul I did not do this. And I wouldn't wish this on anyone.
Y'all, if you like this show, please consider joining the Unjust and Unsolved Patreon. It shows how much you care and helps us continue to tell these stories. Plus, you get some awesome bonus episodes, Q&As, and events as a thank you. And please, please rate and review. The more reviews, the more attention, and the more likely we're going to get tips and leads and the right ears will be reached. Murder in Alliance is produced and reported by me, Maggie Freeling, with editorial consulting from Amber Hunt. Aaron Case is our legal intern, and Bob Mallory is our engineering assistant. For more information and resources, go to murderinalliance.com. You can find Murder and Alliance on Twitter and Instagram at murder underscore alliance and join the discussion on Facebook at Unjust and Unsolved Podcast Discussion Group. Murder and Alliance is a production of the Obsessed Network. You can find all their shows at obsessednetwork.com. 